Open your Bibles, your Bibles to Zechariah 6 and Ephesians 2. I'll speak English for part of the service. Zechariah 6, Ephesians 2. And we're going to start in the Ephesians 2 passage. Ephesians chapter 2, let's start reading in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Dear Heavenly Father, help us this morning to understand Your Word in a, in a new and a fresh way. And Father, help us as we enter into this holiday season to have a, a new awareness of our responsibility in it and your grace and mercy through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this passage, this is an encouraging passage to me. I'm so glad that while I was a sinner, Jesus Christ came to save me. If you look at verse 4 again, but God who is rich, now you know that God is rich, He owns everything. But here it says He's rich in mercy. So remember, Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Not getting what you do deserve. When I get pulled over every once in a while to get a ticket, I usually don't get mad because I deserve many. I just happen to get caught at that particular time. And we need to strike that in case there are any police officers outside of our church who are corrupt. Those, those that would not... Okay, forget it. Let's go on. Um, but this is interesting. God who's rich in mercy... For His great love wherewith He loved us. Don't you love that? His great mercy. His great love wherewith He loved us. When did He love us? Even when we were dead in sins. His mercy is so great. Now, what I want to do, Lord willing, we're going to come back to this text. Because how many of you know that you're saved and you're thankful that Jesus Christ loves you and extended His mercy? We're going to understand that mercy a little bit more today after we've studied Zechariah 6. So at the end, you'll know when we come back to Ephesians, it's almost over. So turn with me to Zechariah chapter 6. As I've said many times to you in this study... Commentators consider Zechariah to be one of the most difficult books in the Bible to understand. And we're going to read through verse 8, and you'll see that this is difficult language. It becomes less difficult when you put it together with the other words of Scripture that define the terms in our text. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's look at verse 1, Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 1. And I turned and lifted up mine eyes. Oh, and just so you know, this is the last of the visions in Zechariah. The rest starts to be direct prophecy. So chapter 7 and 8 are more history. The rest of it is direct prophecy about what's coming. All right, so Zechariah 6, 1. And I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, 
And behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains, and the mountains were of brass. In the first chariot were red horses, and in the second chariot black horses, and in the third chariot white horses, and in the fourth chariot grizzled and bay horses. Then I answered and said unto the angel that talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens, which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. Now, how many of you already recognize some terminology from stuff that we've studied before? If you haven't been with us, some of these details, like standing before the Lord of the earth, that means they're his representatives, all right? So we'll define some of this as we go. So verse 5 again, And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. The black horses which are therein go into the north country, and the white go forth after them, and the grizzled go forth toward the south country. And the bay went forth and sought to go, that they might walk to and fro through the earth. You all recognize that phrase right there? To and fro through the whole earth. All right, to and fro through the earth. Uh, And he said, get you hence, walk to and fro through the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. So what do you think the emphasis of that verse is? To and fro through the earth. Remember, the, the, the technical term is a tautology. A tautology is a needless repetition, a needless repetition. That's, God never has tautologies. When God repeats something, it's always for emphasis. And repetition is God's volume control in the Scriptures. So we're getting some understanding of this text as we see those things. All right? Look at verse 8. Then cried he unto me and spake unto me, saying, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. They've quieted my spirit in the north country. Okay, so let's figure out some of this stuff. Look with me. Let's figure out these uh, chariots. Look with me in 2 Kings chapter 2. And, of course, keep your place in Zechariah. We'll be back there. 2 Kings chapter 2. And look at verse 11. If you're a guest with us, what we do at Grace Baptist is we look at the words of Scripture and then we allow the other words of Scripture to interpret what we're saying. And this is a pretty amazing message. So I'm going to ask all of you, especially you young people, really focus on what's happening here. You're going to get some understanding today that you really need. All right. Verse 11. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire. And horses of fire, and i got to tell you, that would freak me out. All right? And this happened. This really happened. You say, how could a chariot be on fire and the horses be on fire? How could that happen? Because God had it happen. And parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So I want you to notice two things. The chariots, the fire... And the whirlwind. It's often, it's, it, it's, it's interesting how often those three words come together when we're dealing with God and God's messengers and what he's doing. All right, so now go to chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. We've referenced this passage recently. 
So this is when the king of Syria has surrounded God's people. Look, it says, verse 14, Therefore sent he hither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And the purpose of that whole army was to destroy the man of God because he was giving the king trouble. All right? Verse 16. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened, his, opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So here we have these chariots, and they're chariots of fire, and they are angelic messengers. So something with these chariots, these, this is the transportation for God's angelic messengers, these chariots of fire. That's pretty interesting stuff, isn't it? And it's real. It's not mythology. It's real. All right, so now go to Isaiah chapter 66. Look at verse 12. You know, drop down with me to verse 15. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind. God's consistent to render his love and his joy. To render his, angry, his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire... And by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. When you start to see these chariots of fire, now I know that there's a movie by that title, but when you start to see God's chariots of fire, unless you're Elijah, you don't want to be there. Really important that you understand it. So go back to Zechariah chapter 6. We're just going to define this, then we're going to give the teaching of it, then we'll be back in Ephesians 2 to finish up. So, Zechariah 6, look at verse 1. And I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains. So, these mountains, uh, I, I've read a bunch of different commentators, and the commentators, some of them say it's Mount Zion, and Mount, they, they try to define the mountains. And that might be the case, but the Bible doesn't tell us what those mountains are. But we know that they're very special mountains, because look at what the text says. Out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of brass. Mountains of brass. When you see this word brass or bronze in your Bible, I understand they're two different metals, slightly different. One has more zinc, one has more tin, but they're very similar. When you see those two terms in the Bible, it always has to do with something. Go to the book of Exodus, and let's work that out. Exodus chapter 38. Again, if you're new with us or you're listening to this on the Internet, 
we're not making up um, the symbolism of these items. We're putting them in their biblical context. There's a big difference. We're not trying to make some spiritual meaning out of a text that has a literal meaning. We're, we're defining these terms biblically. So Exodus chapter 38, look with me at verse 1. And he made the altar of burnt offering of shittim wood. Five cubits was the length thereof, and five cubits the breadth thereof. It was four square, and the three cubits, and three cubits the height thereof. And he made the horns thereof on the four corners of it. The horns thereof were of the same, and he overlaid it with brass. So this, this altar where the sacrifice was made for the sins of the people, that was judgment being made. When you see brass or bronze, it's judgment. It's always judgment. Brass and bronze, judgment. Look, we're in still chapter 38 of Exodus. Look with me at verse 31. Or verse 30. And therewith he made the sockets to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the brazen altar and the brazen... Now, brazen means it's made of brass. The brazen altar and the brazen grate for it and all the vessels of the altar. So all of it is brass because the entire sacrificial system had to do with God judging sin. And you know, it all represents Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ paid the penalty. Remember we talked about that brazen serpent, the serpent in the wilderness, and how that pictured Jesus Christ on the cross? So this brass, it has to do with judgment. Verse 31, And the sockets of the court round about, and the sockets of the court gate, and all the pins of the tabernacle, and all the pins of the court round about. So what God wants the people to know is all of it is judgment. That's all judgment. Even the foundation of the tabernacle was built on silver. And silver, to the Levitical mind, it represented blood. And that all is, the, the entire sacrificial system was based on the blood of Jesus Christ. It all points to that. So go back to Zechariah with me. So what we understand is you have these chariots coming. There's four of them. And we're going to define that number four. It's really important. Zechariah 6. So, and I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked and behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains and the mountains were mountains of brass. In the first chariot were red horses, in the second chariot, black horses, in the third chariot, white horses, in the fourth chariot, grizzled and bay horses. Now, I want you to notice something. It doesn't say pulling the chariots. These horses are riding in the chariots. That's weird. <laughs> well, of course... Chariots that are spirits or the uh, horses that are spirits riding in special chariots. All of that's weird, but that's what's going to happen. Now, remember, that's not figurative. It's not representing something. It's what's going to happen. The Bible says that God has a, a specific number of chariots. He defines them as 20,000 with thousands of thousands. So it could be 20 million of these chariots. And they all... Rep they all uh, transport angels to do God's work. His, his angels, remember in Hebrews chapter 1, are not his angels ministering spirits. And we'll see that word spirit here in a minute. So you have this, these mountains, and whether they are the actual Mount Zion or whatever, we know they're mountains of judgment because they're mountains of brass. 
And from between those mountains, what, what do you call the space between two mountains? A valley. Do you know what we find through the whole Bible? Where is God's judgment going to happen? The valley of Jehoshaphat. And what's interesting, there's no place in the Bible identified as the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the word Jehoshaphat means Jehovah judges. That is going to be Armageddon where God comes. And we saw the word in Isaiah 65. or I'm sorry, Isaiah 66. That's where he pleads with his people. When he pleads with his people, that means he's coming in judgment. So that's the context of this text. So now that we start to see these horses, and these horses are interesting because they identify us very clearly with some other horses. Keep your places here. Hold your horses. Keep your places here. Good. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Look at Revelation chapter 6. I'll tell you what, when you see what these horses do, man, now when you say hold your horses, it's really going to have some uh, meaning. So don't forget what's going on. Remember in Zechariah chapter 5, we saw the flying roll. And that roll was 30 by 15, and it's a scroll, a flying scroll. It's written on both sides. Um, Look at Revelation chapter 5, just to make sure we get the context. Revelation 5 and verse 1, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. So that's that that flying roll that Zechariah saw. It's It's the same thing. And so now the Lamb of God, he opens this, these scroll, this scroll, with seven seals, and each of those seals brings judgment. So how many of you can already see how Zechariah 5 and 6 identify very interestingly with Revelation chapters what? 5 and 6. So now look at this. Look at verse 6. And I saw when, what are those next two words? What, What are those next two words? The Lamb, so that's Jesus, opened one of the seals, and I heard, heard as, it were, as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So remember, this white horse, he conquers with peace. So he has a bow but no arrows. He conquers with peace. Look at the next verse, verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, where, where are these seals coming from? That flying roll of Zechariah 6 the scroll that's bringing this judgment. Don't forget, we have to do it. Keep your place here in in Revelation. Go back to Zechariah 5. Don't forget what happens in Zechariah 5. Look at verse 3. And he said unto me, Zechariah 5 and verse 3, Then said he unto me, this is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side according to it, and everyone that sweareth shall be cut off as on that side according to it. I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts. Now remember, it's just like that Passover angel that you hear people talking about. There's no Passover angel, it was God. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. God went through the camp himself and killed the firstborn where the blood wasn't on the, the, the side post and the lentil of the door. Here is the same thing. I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief and into the house of him that sweareth falsely by my name, and it shall remain in the midst of his house and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. 
So this is the destruction that this scroll brings into Israel. And not only into Israel, but you see that it's through the whole earth. So now go back to Revelation chapter 6. Verse 4, And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. So the red horse is always war, always killing. To take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. Now I have to say this, whenever Antichrist comes and he conquers the world with peace, if someone could bring peace, everyone would worship him, and that's what's going to happen. But remember the first thing that people do when there's peace is they disarm the people. And so that makes it very easy for them to kill the people, right? Remember, the reason we have, listen, the reason that we still have a First Amendment is because we have a Second Amendment. Really important that you see that. Then look at what it says in verse 5. When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts, say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So according to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 2, a penny is identified as a day's wage. So you're going to work for, a man will work a whole day and get a measure of wheat and a measure of barley, and that's not enough to feed your family. And there's an important component right here that I want you to see. That the black horse is famine, but it's famine that's brought about not only from the lack of production of the land, but because of inflation. So the world economy, the value of your money is nothing. So the, if you've seen pictures of the Weimar Republic at the end of World War I, they were carrying uh, wheelbarrows full of money to buy a loaf of bread. Inflation is going to happen. That's the pair of balances that you see with this black horse. Verse 7 and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So that's what these horses are doing. So go back to Zechariah chapter 6. The Bible tells us where these horses go. So in the first chariot, verse 2, were red horses. Second chariot, black horses. So look at verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord. Now that's an interesting phrase. Of all the earth. So this is not the Lord of hosts that we see all through. Zechariah, remember the Lord of hosts is God leading his troops in battle. This is not Jehovah. Jehovah is the, is the God of Israel. This is the Lord of, the all, of all the earth. So this judgment is for the whole globe. It's not just for Israel. Now this starts to, and we're going to start to see as we move in through the rest of Zechariah, God starts dealing with Gentile nations as well. And so this judgment is they go through the whole earth bringing judgment. Then look at what it says in verse um, 8. It's very interesting. Then cried he unto me and spake unto me, saying, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. 
So the, the red horse is war, the black horse is famine, the white horse is conquering without war, and the grizzled horse is the judgments of pestilence and disease and all of those things that happen. Look with me at Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel 14, let's look at verse 21. Sure and be turning in your Bibles, young people. Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 21. The Bible says, For thus saith the Lord God, How much more when I send my... What's that number right there? Four sore judgments upon Jerusalem the sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. So what God is identifying here is this number four. That four, well, we, might, we might trace it through some of the scriptures, but when you see that four, it has to do with the whole earth, the Lord of all the earth. So we talk about, the, the four hemispheres. The Bible talks about the four winds. The four winds come from north, east, south, and west. It's the four points on the compass. That, that four has to do with the earth. Look at Ezekiel chapter 5. It says that they may want bread. I'm sorry, uh, verse 17. I was in the wrong chapter. Chapter 5, verse 17. So will I send upon you famine and evil beasts, and they shall bereave thee, and pestilence and blood shall pass through thee. And I will bring the sword upon thee. The I, the Lord, have spoken it. This is what God is going to do. God has promised that this is coming on all of the world. And it's such a sad thing. So keep your place in Zechariah, but go with me to Revelation chapter 7. And I want you to see these four spirits that he's referencing in Zechariah 6. So those four horses come. And look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. And after these things I saw, see what it says? Four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Now, I know that um, some of you, if, if you have anything to do with the sea, any of you who fly, you understand that if you don't have wind, the earth's going to die. Everything becomes stagnant. That's what's happening here. That's a horrible judgment that God brings on the earth. So go back to Zechariah chapter 6, verse 5. So at the end of the verse 4, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. So 
what God is doing is he's judging the entire earth. That Those mountains of brass that he comes out from, those are, that's the judgment of God. That is the, the necessary judgment of God because of the sin that's in the world. Let's try to understand why God is doing this. If you look at verse 8, Then cried he upon me and spake unto me, saying, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. Now, you understand that we want God to be pleased. We want God to be comforted. We want God to be at rest because we worship Him and we love Him. Isn't that right? What is it that will comfort God? Look at Ezekiel chapter 5. And look at verse... 13. Thus shall my anger be accomplished, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them, and I will be comforted. And they shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it in my zeal when I have accomplished my fury. In them. What comforts God? Judging sin. Remember, all sin is an affront to God. What is the sin that God is judging here? Look at verse 5. Thus saith the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set it in the midst of the nations and countries that are round about her. And she hath changed my judgments into wickedness more than the nations and my statutes more than the countries that are round about her. For they have refused my judgment and my statutes. They have not walked in them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because ye multiplied more than the nations that are round about you and have not walked in my statutes, neither have kept my judgments, neither have done according to the judgments of the nations that are round about you. In other words, they have been more lawless than the nations around them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, am against thee and will execute judgments in the midst of thee in the sight of the nations. So when the Lord of all the earth sends these four angels to start bringing this judgment to the whole earth, that is so the rest of the nations can see what his own nation has done. It's amazing. It is amazing. Look at Ezekiel chapter 16. What's going to comfort God? I'm just telling you, when people talk about God, they're not talking about the God of the Bible. Look at verse 42. Ezekiel 16 and verse 42. So I, So will I make my fury toward thee to rest. And my jealousy shall depart from thee. And I will be, what's that word? Quiet. And will be no more angry. So keep your place here, but look back at Zechariah 6, verse 8. Then cried he upon me and spake unto me, saying, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. Then, back in Ezekiel, then... He says, and I will be quiet and will be no more angry. So we're in Ezekiel 16, look at verse 63. That thou mayest remember 
and be confounded and never open thy mouth anymore because of thy shame when I am pacified toward thee for all that thou hast done, saith the Lord God. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Look at verse 4. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. What did Israel need to do? They needed to yield. They're so stubborn. Would any of you admit to being stubborn about what God wants you to do? Some of you, God tells you to do this so that you can serve Him. And you say, no, I don't want to. Like a little kid, just stubborn. That's God's people here. Look at Romans chapter 5. See, this is something that Israel couldn't understand the way that we can now. Verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. How about that? You see, that God who can only be quieted, whose spirit can only be quieted, who can only be pacified in judgment. Do you know how that anger was pacified for you? By the death of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. I think we might read this a little differently now. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. You understand that's the same God that's being spoken of in Ezekiel. That's the same God that's being spoken of in Isaiah. That's the same God that's being spoken of in Zechariah. That's the same God that's being spoken of in Revelation. That's the God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, He hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How many of you are saved today? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. That means that right now you're in Christ. You are right now seated with Him in heavenly places. That's not future. That's right now. And look at what it says. That in the ages to come, remember what God is doing with Israel? He's judging them in the midst of the nations. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace 
in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know, we're just sinners. How many of you think we're better than Israel was? But we have Jesus Christ. We have accepted Him. We've acknowledged Him as our Lord and as our Savior. But God still wants us to be holy. God still wants us to be righteous. And the thing that we need to understand is that all of our friends and all of our loved ones who have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, that other God is the God they're going to meet. Listen, do you hear, do you hear what I'm saying? That God that we love who has extended His mercy to us, that God that we know and love and worship, that's not the God they're going to meet. They're going to meet the God who, whose spirit can only be quieted in judgment and in fury. That's the God they're going to meet. What's the answer? We have to tell them. We have to tell them. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus Christ? See, here's the problem with modern Christianity. You have to be saved from something. You know, that I told you that sign when I was preaching down for Brother Knox. I saw this big banner on the side of a church building between my hotel and, and the church, uh, Brother Knox's church. And it said, God's not angry at you. That's a lie. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. I'm glad he's not angry with me. Why is he not angry with me? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus is my Savior. That's the, that's the God that wants to save us, but the God who will bring that fury and wrath and judgment on sin. And think about how much worse it is. It's so much worse because His Son paid the price and they've spat on it. We need to tell them. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus Christ and about the judgment that's awaiting them if they don't trust in Him? See, that type of preaching, the type of preaching of the judgment of God, that, that, that angry God, it's gone from modern Christianity. It's all about how God can help you with your problems. What did Jesus say? The poor you'll always have with you. We need to worship Jesus. You see, our greatest problem is a sin problem. And Jesus Christ came into the world to cure that problem. He really is the great physician, isn't he? He really is. And it's God's will that we be righteous and God's will that we be holy and God's will that we be delivered from this present evil world. That'll happen when we die or when the rapture happens, but it also happens every day as we submit to His Word and as we interact with God's people. So here, here's the, these are the handles that I want to put on this message for you today. When's the last time you told someone about the God that we've just seen? And do you care? I'm glad God loves us. Let's try to live out that love that God has for us by telling people that He loves them, by letting them know that they are lost, that they need to be saved. Remember, you can't get a person saved until you get them lost. The only way that they can understand they're lost is by showing them that they're accountable before a righteous and a holy God. Amen? Let's all stand together. Lord... We love you. And Zechariah 6, what an amazing text.